Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today is a good day as I am joined by former Sunderland winger Matty Piper and Roger reporter Johnny Goldsmith. Hey. Yeah, you got a shout out as hey. well. <laughs> um, I've been lucky to come on this for a long time, mate, I've got to say. Is this where does this rank in your career? This this is one of the most special moments, so it's gotta be said. Gotta be right up there. I'm telling you. Yeah. I know you probably think I'm I'm taking the mick, but I'm not. I, <laughs> my time in Sunderland, I loved it up here. So anything to do with Sunderland. And I listen to the podcast you've been putting out and they're brilliant, mate. Good stuff. Well, I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so, how are you on this fine, windy, horrible Sunderland morning? I'm all right. Straight off the straight off the motorway. Yeah. Straight here. Nice, uh, nice motor that was. Yeah, that's my mate. He, my mate. He, he lives up here. He's got a. He sort of runs a business up here. A few houses, so he had to come up. So I thought we'd tie it all in. Yeah. At the same no, time. I'm, I'm happy about that. And do you miss the area? I do. Do you know? You know when I first signed, I signed for Sunderland, and it was, it was a, it was a shock at the time. It's got to be said. You know, I, I'd only just gotten in the team at Leicester, uh, played sixteen games. Uh, towards the end of the season, we got relegated out of the Premier League, and then um, the new season was going to start. But it was in the Championship. But I was looking forward to it because I'm, um, you know, eight years old. I've been at Leicester since. Yeah. So you just realise your boyhood dream you're getting into the first team at Leicester and then it was going to be in the championship but I was still looking forward to it I've always wanted to play for Leicester and then uh, the first game of the season came and Mickey Adams was our manager and he said uh, I was ill the day before the game and he said don't worry about tomorrow and normally it would kick off because they were sort of trying to build the team around me it seemed over the summer and uh so, yeah, he said, have the weekend off, don't worry, there's bigger and better things coming for you Monday morning. So I thought, oh, yes, I've got in the England under-21s. That's what I thought all weekend. Got in on Monday and he said, uh, the club have accepted an offer from, from Sunderland with Soldier. I was like, what? Do you know what I mean? It was like, it was crazy for me. It was a crazy time and I just immediately said I didn't want to leave. Um, but, yeah, getting back to your point, so I came up and I looked at the area and it it was very different to what I'm used to, like inner city of yeah. Leicester, seeing the sea, the seafront, everything, um, which was nice. But I just, I met Peter Reid in a pub. It's typical. He did the he did the deal in the pub. <laughs> or he tried to do the deal he in the pub. He did that with Lee Clark as well. Oh, did he do, yeah. do that with Lee Clark? It was in, um, is it Winyard? Oh, I don't know. I don't Winyard, know Winyard somewhere. somewhere. It, was, it was nearer to Middlesbrough. 
And um, yeah, and he brought the chief exec with him, Mark Blackburn at the time. Both nice guys, loved Peter Reed straight away. Um, and I took my dad because I didn't have an agent and he sort of, Mark Blackburn wrote the five-year contract on a napkin. It's like, like I was signing for the dog and duck or someone. Um, but yeah, so I turned them down and then I, I said, you know, really, really pleased for the interest, but I want to stay at Leicester. And really basically said, well, you'll be back here in a couple of weeks because Leicester need to sell you because they're going into administration. Scary. And they just moved into a new ground, hadn't they? Yeah, just moved into a new ground. So you ground. wouldn't have played at the King Power? Or- I did. I played one, I played a... Pre-season game against Atletico Bilbao. Right, was that to like open the stadium? That was to open the stadium, ah. and we drew one-one. Because you scored the last goal at Fulham Street, didn't you? I did. Yeah, that's, that was that's, the big one. That's a big one for you. Isn't it, it? it was at the time when you score it, you think, "Well, oh, it's just a goal." Um, but then when you start, as you get older, and you start desperately trying to hold on to things that you actually did in your career, yeah. because <laughs> I didn't do much because of all the injuries. Um, so, yeah, that was a big one for me. Was it you who edited that in your Wikipedia page? Like, Got to make sure that's in there. <laughs> no, because you know what? I look at the Wikipedia page and there's lots on there that I don't like reading. And I'd love to be able to edit it, but I don't know how to. You yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> you could just sign up and edit it. I didn't know you yeah, could do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I need to do that. There's you, a couple get of things on like your on enemies there. as well and... No. I'd bump the um, probably a few of the goals up as well if you could do that and I'd definitely bump the appearances up yeah I mean you can't really lie <laughs> oh you're not allowed to lie okay. no it's just because I get battered at schools because I work in schools now and the first question the kids ask you you used to play in the Premier League yeah wow how many times um, 30 40 is that it how many goals did you score one <laughs> kills you kills you with the street cred okay before we get properly going here I've got some business to take care of we've got a new sponsor at Roger Report uh, and a sponsor that uh, I'm really proud to have and it's the Beacon of Light I don't know if you've seen that the new building mine. Beacon of Light yeah no. Bob Murray's built this well the foundation but Bob Murray's the head of it has built this massive square well, beacon I suppose and it's got football pitches in it's got like a school really? Uh, it's got it's got like a a barn on the top. You can play on like the roof. Yeah. Um, where is this? Just next to the ground. Do you know where the aquatic center is? Do you oh know? yeah. It's He's the, built it for Sunderland. Yeah. For Sunderland AFC. For the no people for the community. Oh, for the pe- brilliant. Yeah. So. Oh well, I'll go and see that when I'm here today. I'm yeah, here today no. and tomorrow. No, it's really really good. I would recommend oh, going. Hundred um, percent. I'll go and see it's that. Huge. Uh, so yeah, we we've teamed up with the Beacon Light anyway to get you ten pound off your first five aside pitch booking. Uh, so all you got to do is call 0191-563-4818 and use the code Roker Report to get your £10 off. And that means you can play for £3 each if you get 10 people. If you've got mates. If not, ask me, to be honest. Yeah. I'm always looking for a game. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, I could do with losing a bit of a few pounds. Couldn't <laughs> um, we all? I know. <laughs> we'll get you on as well next time. <laughs> yeah. You make it a regular thing. Just come up, do the podcast and then we'll play for you. And get subbed off injured. Yeah, that's true. Go like you do walking football, they do that. <laughs> I'd still probably get injured doing that. Um, the best thing about the beacon, though, is the fact that all the profits go back to the venue, which means it goes back into the local community. Um, so the amount of stuff that they do for schools and stuff, it means that you know, you're not just giving it to a business, you're giving it yeah. to something that's going to benefit you as well. So the code is Roker Report, the number is 0191 563 481. 
okay, let's start your early career. You're at Leicester City. You make your competitive debut against Leeds. You get beat 6-0, but you get man of the match. So how was that? Yeah, home team man of the match. Yeah. I think... I think. Oh, yeah, you probably... Robbie Keane got a hat-trick side. So yeah, doubt. Robbie Keane got a hat I mean, that was the Leeds side that was just incredible. That was their last good year. You know, it yeah, it was. Vidukart, Rio Ferdinand, Woodgate. Um, but it was quite simple for me. I, I, I was out on the right wing. The team were getting battered in the Premier League. Um, all the players were sort of getting booed off the pitch at the end of every game and I was just a young lad How from Leicester uh, 19 I think 19 I had been in and around it before under the Martin O'Neill days but then I had my first injury so I was away from it um, but around that time yeah I was 19 and the funny thing about that is I've got a lot of time for this guy a guy called Gary Parker was my reserve team manager at the time you know he used to play for Villa uh, Leicester good player Gary Parker but bit waiter but he was good, good footballer yeah that kind of style <laughs> he was a good footballer though and he was my reserve team manager and he said um, if the manager gets sacked because it, it was sort of on the cards at the time who was Peter Taylor um, I'm going to if I get the if I get the opportunity to get the first team I'm going to put you in and I thought yeah he's just saying that you know I didn't really believe him um, and basically Peter Taylor was just not having me as a footballer, he, he called me in his office a few times and he said, don't ever think you're going to play for the first team, um, but we want to give you a new contract because we think we'll be able to sell you in years to come to a lower league club, which I always thought was strange, but he said that to me, so... That's horrendous. Really. Yeah, yeah, terrible. That's such a poor Unless people, as I've got older, people have said, maybe he was doing that to try and spur you on and like try and prove him wrong. Um, but I don't think he was. I just think... So did you sign the contract? Yeah, I signed it because I wanted to stay at Leicester. And, yeah. and the, the funny story about that is the guys that were my age at the same time were all signing new contracts and they were getting like £1,500 a week, two grand a week. They offered me £395 a week and I signed it because I wanted to stay. Um, and anyway, long story short, he got the sack. Parker got the to take over against Leeds and he said, you're in the squad. I came into the dressing room, never been on the bench or anything before before that, and walked in. I thought, oh, I might have made the bench. And my name was on the starting sheet, right wing. And it was like, <laughs> wow, nervous, because I just bought a brand new pair of boots as well. I was a bit like that. I'm not, I'm not so much these kind where I have to wear the same sort of boots, I have yeah. to do this. I thought, oh, my boots are a bit old. So I stopped at JD sports on the way to the ground I think it was JJB sports actually then and bought a brand new pair of boots and turned up with them in the box and everyone was like you're crazy you can't be wearing a brand new pair of boots for your debut but I did and I played up against a guy called Ian Hart yeah left back yes. great, Sunderland. yeah he did great footballer but no pace and that suited me because every time I got the ball all I did was kick it by him on the outside and just run and that's why I got man of the match because it looked like I had had a good game. Yeah. But basically, it was just, uh, I got the nickname after that. One guy came up to me after the game and said, you were a breath of fresh air tonight. Everyone's nicknamed you Pipinho because you'd like, I had skills in Brazilian. Another guy said, we've nicknamed you Forrest Gump. I was like, <laughs> cheers, mate. Like, open the gates. Like, because I just used to keep running up and down. But no, it was, it was good. We did lose 6-0, but... 
it gave me confidence to know that I could play at that level. So were you in the dressing room? You get beat 6-0, but are you like I smiling? I was buzzing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was buzzing. And it, it, for me, growing up, it is a team game, yes. But sort of there was a lot of guys in that dressing room that really didn't want to be there. It was a bad time at the football club at the time. And, you know, we had, had a we had a makeshift manager for one game. Pete, Peter Taylor did really take that club backwards when he took over, to be honest. Um, so it was not a great time. There was a lot of players playing that you realise now when, as I'm an older man and you look, there was a lot of players that, that didn't want to be playing mm-hmm. in that team. They didn't want to be getting beat every week and, and getting slapped by Leeds 6-0 and things like that. They just they just wanted to be away from it. Yeah. So, so looking back now, for me, it was a good time to push into a first team. You know, I think a lot of people think it's good to get in a first team when they're doing well. Sometimes it's the opposite I look at. If it's not doing so well, you get more of a chance from the manager, definitely get more of a chance from the fans. So for me, it was a good time to get in the first team. You went to Mansfield on loan? I did, yeah. So so after that game, Mickey Adams and Dave Bassett took over. Parker only got the one match because he got batted 6-0. Uh, and they were in the stand that night. And, and the day after, Mickey Adams got... Well, Dave Bassett was manager. Mickey Adams was his assistant. And he said, he said, listen, you were brilliant last night. You were our best player, but we're going to go with more experience to try and stay in the league this year. So we want you to go straight out on loan. I've already done the deal for you to go Mansfield. So literally the next day, after getting your start in the first team for Leicester and playing well, next day, boom, down up to Mansfield. How was it? Brilliant. Really, really good. I had an old manager called Billy Dearden. He was about 62, 63, no nonsense. He said, basically, I came and watched the other night. That's what I want you to do for us. Get the ball, run at people and just express yourself. And that's what he said to me. And, and that's what I went there and did. And it was like, but it was it was good for me in the way as I got a couple of teeth knocked out in the first game. Uh, and like, you know, when you're growing up at Leicester and everything's done for you, you, you your boots ain't done, but all, you, all your meals, everything is set out. It's nice, clean, tidy. Mansfield, we trained at a local primary school. You had to wash your own kit. You had to wash your own boots uh, and the like lunchtime, you had to go down the local corner shop. So all that like sort of brings it back to you and you see the hunger that these kids have got trying to get in this Mansfield team. And it sort of gave me that same sort of feeling. I had had it easy growing up at Leicester. And then in the first game, boom, got smashed, went up for a header, got smashed by by a big centre-back. And he leant over me and he said, you ain't in the fucking Premier League now. Are you allowed to run it? Of course you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're only in the fucking Premier League now. And it just, it toughened me up. I only had 12 games there. I got I scored my first league goal against Swansea. Um, so that League One, League Two? That was League Two. League Two. League Two. And it, it just, everything that I was missing, that little bit of grit, that little bit of aggression. Um, and that probably, that kind of pompous kind of attitude you have growing up at a big club. Mm-hmm. Because everyone has it. People say they don't, but they do. Uh, and nowadays, that's what I think's missing from some of these kids that are coming up now. Yeah. That hunger's not there. Now, I watched that documentary, There's No Hunger in Paradise, and that's so true. You, you need that little bit of hunger yeah. and that something extra to to take you where you want to be. Look at, like, Jordan Pickford. He went on 
for 10 loans. Like he kept going up the pyramid. Yeah, and I think you can see that in him now. Yeah. It's refreshing to see. You know, when he's like fist pumping and when he's made a big save and yeah. even for England. And, you know, when Joe Hart used to make a save, I know he came from low leagues as well, but he'd make a save and it's sort of like, yeah, look at me. Jordan Pickford, like, you know, it's just like most pros line. now stay cool. Yeah, I've just scored an unbelievable. I love to see people going crazy, yeah. going yeah. wild and have that passion for what they do. And at Leicester, you go back, you play 16 games um, and the team were relegated. So how, was that again bittersweet? You're playing for your boyhood team, which is brilliant, but they get relegated, which is ultimately really shit. Yeah, I think it was on the cards though, that yeah, season. Yeah, they were going down was, the whole year. I yeah, they basically myself. were. We were getting battered every week. You beat Sunderland. And yeah, we did. I can buy yeah, like right when he ripped his top off. Yeah, you beat all one 0 It was on the telly. Yeah, yeah, and he was having he was having a bad time at that time. Great lad, Akinbai. He but he was having a bad time at that point. He was missing loads of chances, he really and when he was. scored that goal, sort of ripped his top off, and everyone's seen he's physically Jacked. absolutely yeah. looks like the Rock. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he looks like a WWE wrestler, <laughs> and um, yeah, but it was it was bittersweet, but. The, the thing that I always talk about, and I think a lot of the time people think, because I say it on social media, and sometimes if you if you start being nice and like over the top nice sometimes, people think, oh, he's just saying that to get people on side. But it's literally the truth. This is the truth. That the two clubs that I was blessed to play for, Mansfield as well, but Sunderland and Leicester, I think you've seen it with what's happened with our chairman recently. The fans are so incredible uh, at both clubs. I mean, look at me. I didn't hardly play for Sunderland and always injured. Fans could have been like, for fuck's sake, look at this kid. Yeah. Paid all this money for him. He's always injured. Fucking useless. Get rid of him. Do you know what I mean? And there wasn't. There wasn't like that. And the following that I have now from Sunderland on, on social media is the fans... They just want to see their club do well. And and Leicester's the same. So the, the, my my memory from that season of going down is literally Leicester fans. We got beat by Man U. And if we got beat at home at Filbert Street, we were going down that season. And we got beat. We got beat 1-0. Uh, and I think it was Solskjaer scored like 50 or, 50 or so minutes. And the, the fans sung, even though they knew we'd just been relegated, the rest of the game, didn't want to go home at the end, everyone's singing together behind the team. And do you know what I mean? When things are going bad, they let you know. I don't mind that. I'm a young kid growing up. My dad was like that. You're having a beast or something's going wrong. Yeah. I expect to get battered. And and that's what I think a lot of footballers nowadays, so I talk about this pompous quite a lot. Some of them think, why are the fans having a go at me? Mate, they're having a go at you because you're having a beast. Yeah, and Leicester fans are very truthful like that and so are Sunderland fans and I know when I played at Sunderland a lot of the players without naming any names sort of didn't not didn't like that but not scared of it but you, you know they hated playing in the atmosphere when mm-hmm. things weren't going well and because the fans let you know that it's not going well and but it's because the passion that they've got the Sunderland fans and the Leicester fans. It's mm-hmm. just, and I respect that. You know, I'm, if you see me on social media, if I make a mistake or something happens or I'm crap on the radio and someone comes on and tells me I'm crap, I say, yeah, mate, I agree with you. I, you know, you <laughs> yeah. have to be. I just like being an open and honest person and 
being passionate about what we all love to do. Uh, to Sunderland now, you moved in the summer of 2002, but the Leicester City website has this quote from you. I'll read it to you. Uh, I went to Sunderland, met Peter Reid, and was offered five times what I was in at Leicester, but I turned them down. It wasn't about the money. It was about being at Leicester City since I was eight, scoring the last goal at Filbert Street, and wanting to be part of the team that would go back up after relegation. So it also says you had an offer from Southampton as well. Yeah. Um, how? I suppose... How does, in your head, I can imagine, if I play for Sunderland as mm. a 20-year-old, mm. I would want to ever leave. Yeah. And how do you sort of say to yourself, well, I'm going to have to leave? I mean, is that difficult? Or do you just accept it, move on? No, well, it was really difficult. But it was it was made a lot easier for me in the end with how I got treated at Leicester. Um, remember, I'm only 19. Maybe it just turned 20, actually. And... Um, the manager, Mickey Adams, which I don't hold against him, but he he, he called me in because I first came to Sunderland and turned them down. Then I went to Southampton to meet Gordon Strachan, turned him down. And out of the two, I, I much preferred Peter Reid and the sort of banter that we was having. And, and so I turned Southampton down. And when I got back after turning that Southampton down, the manager called me in his office and he was like, you will not train for this football club because you need to understand you've got to be gone. It, we can't get any money for any of the other players. Muzzy was another big player at the time, but no one was coming in for him and we was on the brink of administration. So he said to me, remember I'm 19, he said, people at this football club that you say you love will lose their jobs. People that have been here for years, you need to understand that before you keep turning all these clubs down because you can go and express your talent at the Premier League stage, why would you want to stay in the Championship? So he put that into it as well. But it was more that that stuck in my head. People are going to lose their jobs if I stay here. Is it selfish me staying? Maybe it is. Okay, I'll go. So I rang Reader. He told me that I would. Reed, he went the yeah. first time I met him, he said, you'll be ringing me in a couple of weeks and you'll be coming. And I rang him and I said, listen, Gaffer, I want to come. I'll come. I'll do it. Um, and that's what I did. So how was that initial move then? Very on a personal level as well, you know, mm. moving up here. Did you have a partner? Did you? I did, but not. We we wasn't together that long. And, and my old man, my dad, was sort of he was like acting as my agent and things like that. And he sort of said, he sort of said, you want to go on your own, and you want to you want to use this time to go up there, express yourself, have a real flying start at Sunderland, and then when you're settled. Um, take your, your girlfriend or I think I've been with her for about six months um, but I didn't listen to him <laughs> I brought her with me straight away <laughs> and we stayed in um, the club put me up in the Durham Marriott for three months um, at the same time we just signed Stephen Reed. so he was staying it's not Stephen Reed. Stephen Wright sorry Wright yeah, 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 no, no. <laughs> Stephen Reed. yeah Wright um, who's a big mate of mine still he's a good lad and Tor Andre Flo so mm. we were sort of all in there. How was Flo? Flo's a good lad. Good lad. Mm. Yeah, he was. He really was a good lad. Um, you just seemed to get totally ostracised almost from the team. Yeah, he did. But, you know, these are, I, I get on with most people, but he really went out of his way because he, he was an experienced guy as well and he had played top level for a long time. And he sort of was one of the guys that sort of, you know, invited me and my missus around his house and because we got pregnant quite quickly after we were here as well. Yeah. Because 
there weren't much to do when you're back in the hotel <laughs> all day. So we got pregnant quite quickly and we and her parents, my parents were sort of like, it's too, too soon for you both and this and that. So he, I spoke to him. I, I had confidence in speaking to him and I opened up to him and he sort of invited me around his house and he had like a million kids running around everywhere, him and his missus. And he said, we had kids young and it was the best thing we ever did. And, and, and so, yeah, he was, he was a great guy. He was a really, really great guy. I sort of gone off story then. I forgot what we were talking about. We did lose it. It's all right. We'll, we'll get back. So you joined Sunderland. <clears throat> did you feel like you'd joined a sinking ship? No, no, not at all. I see, uh, you know, I, I'm quite, even back then, I used to watch like around different teams and I knew that obviously, and big players were here. McAteer, Bab, Phillips. Um, Bjorklund, Phillips, Quinn. There was some massive, massive players that I had grown up watching and, you know, thinking they're superstars. And I was a little bit in awe, to be honest, when I got here. You know, like when you're seeing Kevin Phillips, it was only a couple of seasons before he'd won the Golden Boot for Europe, for European club. And I was like, wow. Like, And I was actually, I, I say it all the time, I was like, sort of, you feel like, shit, am I good enough yeah. to play with these kind of lads, you know? Phillips, Quinn, big names, massive names. and um, But no, they all welcomed me straight away. It was, I loved it from, honestly, from the first minute, because you wouldn't think I would, because I didn't want to leave Leicester. As soon as I got here, I embraced it. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to, I used to go shopping in the town centre, like after every training session, we'd go to some of the local, um, I used to go Frankie and Benny's a lot up at the top end near, um, I forgot where it was, but one of the Frankie and Bennies and me and the young lads and a lot of the Irish lads. I used to get on well with the Irish lads. and We had a lot at yeah, that time. Some of the Irish some of the younger lads. Um, Butler. Kilban. Um, Kilban was a great lad. But I was sort of, because I was young, I was more hanging around with some of the younger lads. It wasn't until I'd been here a couple of years that I started hanging around with the actual first teamers. Yeah. When I first got here, I used to hang around with the likes of David David Bellion, um, Tom Pepper, Peters. Tom Peters, but I used to call him Tom Pepper. <laughs> We're going to talk <laughs> yeah, about it in a bit, I think. Um, and Mark Rossiter. Mark Rossiter is still one of my best mates now, who, who also struggled with injury in the football club. So Reed left pretty early in the season. Uh, I think we left after got 13 games, games I think. Yeah. yeah, about 10, 13 and, games. Uh, Howard Wilkinson took charge. So <sighs> how was Will go? <laughs> disastrous mate I think everyone who follows me on Twitter knows like like I don't hate anyone and I don't hate Howard Wilkinson but he, he did make my time at this football club not a nice experience yeah um, Bob Murray pretty much Bob Murray said I mean, he didn't admit many of his mistakes but he said Howard Wilkinson was his the only huge massive error he ever made yeah I, I would look back now and say it was a it was a mistake for the football club to employ him. I think, I think what happened, this is just my own personal take. I think he won the league with Leeds. In 92? Yeah, in 92, like way back when. And he still tried to have that like sergeant style with, with the new generation. And I feel like it does all the time. I mean, we're seeing it with Pep Guardiola now. Things move on in football and you have to adapt. Someone vibrating. It's me. Sorry. <laughs> you, have, you have to adapt and sort of change with the times. 
And I don't think he did. And he thought that whole kind of headmaster school style would still work. And that that's personally how I think he got it wrong. But I got off to a terrible start with him because I was actually away with the 21s when he took over. And I'll never forget it, Titus Bramble, it broke on Sky News and we're all sitting having a meal. And David Platt was the manager for the 21s and one of his assistants was a guy called Les Reed. He's and Southampton. And- yeah, yeah, Southampton. Yeah. But little did I know, him and Wilco were big, big mates. And Titus Bramble said to me, oh God, you're going to have a disaster of a time with him there. Because Titus Bramble had had him previously in the England under-21s. I said, what do you mean? And he said, mate, he is one hell of a... See you next Tuesday. He's one hell of a cunt. And I was like, oh, really? And then literally five minutes later, Les Reed came in. Oh, perhaps you got a new manager. What do you think? I said, I'll tell you what, Les, I've heard he's a right cunt. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So anyway, I get back from England under-21... And I'm like the last one to meet him because all the other lads have been meeting him while I've been away. So I come in, pleased to meet you, Gaffer. Put my hand out. Nice to meet you, I'm Pipes. I know who you are. I fucking know who you are. And I was like, what? I don't, what's up? What's the matter? Goes, come in my office a minute. So I went in. As the door shut, he turned around and went, so I'm a cunt, am I? And I was like, oh, no. And he went, Les Reed has been one of my biggest mates for the last 15, 20 years, ain't no that you can't tell him that he ain't told me. Who told you I'm a cunt? And I wouldn't tell him. I said, oh, God. it was just one of them things. It was one of them flipping comments. So literally since then, he didn't, I don't think he liked me. Did you get much of a game time under him? He played me, he played me against West Ham at the Stadium of Light. I think it was his first game. And Trevor Sinclair. Yeah, we think we've got to be- Yes, but Trevor Sinclair scored an unbelievable goal. If you remember the goal, he took it on his chest, probably 40 yards out. It bounced once and he sort of volleyed it and it went in the stanchion. And Wilco blamed me for that goal. I was the opposite side of the pitch. I was marking Di Canio or Joe Cole. Joe Cole or Di Canio on on a throw-in on the halfway line. They threw the ball to him. I think it was Di Canio. He chested it away from me back towards his own goal and then volleyed it across the far side of the pitch. Trevor Sinclair took it on his chest, smashed it in the top corner. So I'm thinking, fucking hell, there's no one can do notes about that. I think Thomas Sorensen was in goal, couldn't get nowhere near it. Mickey Gray left back. He hit it before he got near him. No one's fault. For me, it was a great goal. Got in at half-time. I fucking tell you what. You know whose fucking fault that goal was? So I'm like looking round the changing room as if to see who's he going to point at. Fucking pointed at me. <laughs> I went me, and he went when he's chested that ball away. You got to get after him and fucking stop him making that pass. I went gaffer, listen, hold on. And he went no. He goes, I'll tell you something about yourself. And he literally went for the whole of the 15 minutes of the half time battering me. He went, you've been away with in-. it was to get me back for calling him a cunt. He said you've been away with England under 21. All that time, you didn't play and all you've done is put on weight. Look at you, you've come back with a right fat arse. He's oh. going after me. He's proper going after me. And I'm only a young lad still. So I'm taking it and I'm looking around the changing room. And to be fair, a lot of the players were letting him do it. Now as an older bloke, if I'm in there, I would have gone, hold on, Gaffer. I would have said that. I would have stuck yeah. up for a young lad. No one really did. Um, and that was a bit gutting because I, I wanted someone to turn around and say, hold on, he's a fucking young lad, number one. Number two, we can't stop that. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that was a bit disappointing. But yeah, ever since then, basically, uh, and then he dragged me off. He dragged me off. You came off at half time? I came off at half time. Yeah, and then I didn't really play again. And then I think I got injured in training, um, which didn't help. But then just just not a good time. And we obviously had a bad time under him. And, and the things that he was doing to try and get us out of that bad time, a lot of the players I didn't think, well, I know, didn't agree with. And I, I was only a young lad, but I didn't agree with. He had a, brought us in one day and he said, right, we're going to watch this video. Um, and it's going to help us like come together as a team uh, and win at the weekend. So we're thinking, fucking hell, he's going to put on fucking Brazil 70s, 80s, or he's going to put on, you know, Man United, show us something. Put it on, and it was David Attenborough <laughs> in the changing room. All the lads were like, what? <laughs> David Attenborough um, doing a series on geese and how they fly in formation and work together. And I understood. <laughs> Listen, it's fine putting that on, but a little snippet of a minute and David Attenborough saying, you know, they work in formation. When one falls out of the V, another one flies up and they work together. I get the premise of it straight away. We sat there for an hour and 40 minutes <laughs> watching this. And I'm thinking, and we didn't train a lot under him. That was the problem. A lot of us did become unfit. A lot of it was sitting down, talking, putting... David Attenborough wildlife videos on. A lot of it was that. And we didn't get much work done out on the training ground. There's more team building exercises and things like that. Um, and our, te- our, our bond as a team at the time between the players was good. That wasn't the problem. It was just tactically we were getting open up in every game. Who did we need? So you go back to Reed getting sacked. Who would have been the right man to take over? Or would Reed have been the right man to continue? I don't know. I don't know with the gaffer because I loved him and I I had belief that he was going to turn it around. He still had the dressing room. Mm -hmm. None of the lads were not playing for him. Um, And I I felt personally he would have been able to turn it around or keep us in the league that season. And then whether the club decided to make a change at the top the next season, we would have still been in the league. But when Wilkinson came in and... And I also didn't like Steve Cottrell. He was just... With his notepad. Yeah, notepad. He was just a yes man to to Wilkinson. And, you know, everything the gaffer said, he said. And over the years, I think a good number two is the guy that can sometimes, sometimes behind the manager's back, but the manager knows he's doing it. He can he can be more friendly with the players and like more like good cop, bad cop. That's mm. how a good partnership works with the number one, number two, I think. And he was too much a yes man to what Wilkinson was saying and what he was doing. So McCarthy joins end of that season. I think he lost his first nine games, I think. Um, was that season harder than the relegation one you had the year before? No, that, that relegation season was awful. It so which one, the Leicester one or the Sunderland one, which was worse? Oh, no, no, the Sunderland one, sorry. What's worse? The, the Sunderland one was worse. We were, like, there was literally fans chucking, you know, um, season tickets on the pitch and ripping them up and, and the boos were so intense. I mean, I didn't play that much because I had got injured by this point. But the, it was sort of like the atmosphere was was bad. Do you know, and, and that's why I said earlier in the show, you, you couldn't blame the fans because we were... You finished 19 points. Yeah. yeah. Didn't we, win any games after 
Liverpool, I think, which was in January. No, ex- exactly. And the, and the 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 gutting thing was the club tried to. I think the club put everyone on a win bonus to try and give us an incentive, and our win bonus was the same as Man United's. It was like five grand a win. So those of the one the the, the ones in the team that were sort of money orientated and thought, okay. Uh, you know, I don't think a football club should have to do that, but that's what the club did. That's what they decided to do. And we didn't win. <laughs> so, so all them guys were gutted anyway. We sort of didn't win. We was getting open up. We was getting, I think the worst one that I can remember, and I might have, I think I played in it or I played some part in it, was the Middlesbrough game. At home? Yeah. 3-1? 3-1, but it was it awful. Was horrible. I was at that game. It was awful one of the worst times in football I sort of looked around and like you know you just see it all in slow motion like fans literally like spit at the side of their mouths because they're that angry that passionate that they're seeing their team perform like this because basically that season we did lack heart I felt I don't know why I can't put my finger on it but it sort of lacks heart that drive to try and no one was in there like I mean, I look at Cat's play. You know, I, I don't know him, but you look at him and he, yeah. he he rolls his sleeves up when times get tough. We didn't kind of have one of them players. It didn't seem like at that time, you know, that drives the team forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's clearly why you see him, Baller, another. That this, like the Sunderland fans, they they really they love a good player. Yes, Julio Walker, people like that, but they they love a player. That is, that is about passion, yeah. about steel. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna drive this team forward. Borley had it. Um, Cats obviously has it, um, and then players are important. And I think we lack that kind of player at that time. Uh, there were rumours at the end of that season that you might go back to Leicester. Uh, I was reading about that before. Did that ever come close to happening? No, not really. Because I read it. Mickey Adams said that he was interested. I think they just won promotion back to the Premier League. Yeah, they won promotion back, but no, I didn't. I seen, I seen the newspaper articles and things like that. And would you have went? No, I, honestly, I was, I was settled up here. I because for the first three months, every weekend without fail, I used to go home. Mm-hmm. Used to get to even if it was a, you know, away match, and we fly back here, get home at nine, ten. I used to get in the car and drive home. Go out Saturday night in Leicester with my mates, spend the day with my family on Sunday. And then drive back up late Sunday night or come back early Monday morning. Uh, and and one weekend I just stayed here for some reason after about two or three months and loved it. I think I went out in Sunderland. I went out with a couple of the Irish boys. And, you know, that could have literally been the end of my relationship with my first, the girlfriend that moved yeah. up with me. Because after that I was staying here every weekend, going out with the Irish lads and, you know... Loved it up here. I didn't go home. Then I didn't go home for about, could literally go six, seven months before mm-hmm. I went back down south. The next season, you played 11 games. Um, you had a, a run towards the end of that year where you, you stayed fit. Um, but the fans, I suppose, always supported you. And how rewarding was it that first year where you'd had a lot of injuries, or three or four, to, to have that support sort of behind you? Yeah, it's massive. I mean, um, what, what were the injuries that year? You must have got injured in August. Yeah, and knee. then you came back in about March, August, and March. Yeah, that was knee. Most of them were knee. You it had was either knee or knee hernia. Operations. Yeah, fifteen. 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 You had an extra one then since that. Yeah, That's yeah. Rude. 
15 knee operations, three hernia operations, three ankle. Like um, a bionic man. Yeah. My nickname was, and then that film came out, Unbreakable, with um, Bruce Willis, and the opposite of him being Unbreakable was Mr. Glass, mm-hmm. who was Samuel L. Jackson. So Pipes all of a sudden gets a new nickname or something <laughs> of being Mr. Glass. Um, and yeah, so knee injury, uh, come back, but then they literally go again within a month or two, which was, you know, it's 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 not tough to talk about now, but at the time, I imagine horrible. Oh my, because you just think because I used to, I used to be one of these guys that didn't abuse myself when I was injured. Some footballers do. They, you know, they go drink more, not do as much work in the gym. I was first in, last out. Always was, especially when I was injured, getting in the swimming pool, um, doing my weights, fit and physically, I was the best I've ever been every time I used to come back from injury. Um, but yeah, then you just do a sharp turn. That's what it was in the end. It was like sharp turns or away from a defender and my, my knee would just go again. So is that genetic? Genetic, yeah. We found out after the 12th or 13th operation when the club sent me to America to see a guy called Stedman, who was the you know world-renowned surgeon. He worked on Shearer and everyone and got their careers back on track. And he said, unfortunately, that the ligaments in my knee are too lax, so they allow too much movement in the knee capsule. And the problem with too much movement in the knee capsule is when you twist and turn sharp at high speeds, the knee keeps sliding. So it shears cartilage and damages oh, cruciate really? ligaments, and Ooh. so yeah, that was the that was the diagnosis from him and the problem in the end. So how are you walking? <laughs> Still walking? I'm okay walking. You know the crazy thing is, you know now I don't I don't twist and turn now when I play. I play for the Leicester Legends team. Steve Walsh has got a team called the Leicester Legends, and I play probably ten games for them a season, and I'm still like the old pipes. You know, flying down the wing, yeah. getting crosses in. You know, you just learned how to deal with yeah, and how to manage it. If I if I go on a long run, because um, some of these games get quite intense for charity games. If I go on a long run with the ball, a dribble, then the next time I, I'll just hang out on the wing for ten or fifteen minutes, get my breath back, get my composure back, and then I can go again. You know, it was, but you can't do that in professional football. You know. So if that had been picked up when you were, say, 20, your career probably would have been over then. Yeah. Because if they picked that up in a medical, I mean, I presume they might even test that in medicals now. Yeah. Do you think it would have been picked up if you... Well, the, th- the, the thing, this is what I will say, that, that, you know, I wasn't trying to hide anything, but when I had my Sunderland medical, because I was so young and, f- and like, fit to look at on the eye, like, oh, nothing, he's not limping, he's not... It was not very intense at all, you know. Yeah. And, and I think I'd already had two operations by then on my knees for that same problem. So, you know, and the, the Sunderland guy, I said, yeah, I've had two operations on that knee. He didn't say, wow, at 19? He was just like, yeah, it's not a problem. It's just a little cartilage thing. And it wasn't very intense at all. So... Like- well, towards the end of your Sunderland career here, the following season, the club were promoted, 2004-05, but again, you suffered injuries. I imagine that must have taken a, a real mental toll. Yeah, that was the season we got promoted mm. back to the Premier League. Yes. 
Yeah. That, I think that season, I, I only made three starts, but I think I made a couple of substitutes appearances as well. Um, and that was good for me because I did feel on the outside of it, you know, when a team wins something, obviously you're buzzing for the team, the lads, the club, but you sort of, because you've not been a massive part of it, you sort of feel a little bit on the outside. But that's where Mick McCarthy was brilliant for me. He he sort of, he made it a big thing. I think we were losing to Stoke at the Stadium of Light and it was, it was a big game and there was not long left and he brought me on as a sub and I crossed and Darren Byfield scored the equaliser. And Mick McCarthy talks about that as an important moment because I think after that game we went on quite an unbeaten run. Mm-hmm. It sort of got us up in the end. So he made me he, he made me feel a, a part of that promotion season. And I was one game, one appearance short of getting a a medal mm-hmm. for going up. And okay. but the manager gets a discretion of three extra ones that he can give out and he gave me one. Oh, okay, yeah. So he yes. really did make me feel a part of that season and that was a brilliant season. One of my favourite seasons, even though I didn't play that much, mm-hmm. I just remember the, you know, the, that that winning feeling of, and, and the fans and the city just went crazy. Mm. It was unbelievable. Yes. You know, we did the open yes. bus. So I remember that, yeah. yeah. It was amazing, mate. And yeah. literally the whole of Sunderland came out for it. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was an amazing season. It, I look at, I look back at that, even though I didn't play that much, as one of my fondest memories yes. at, at the football club. So um, what was Mick like to work with as a manager? Now, you, you've obviously talked about Reid and Wilkinson, so mm-hmm. McCarthy then, how's he different? Brilliant. Yeah. Really, really. Like, what, what I enjoy in people, and especially managers, is what you see is what you get. If I've had a bad game, I don't mind being told I've had a bad game and this and that. What I don't like is the sort of mind games mm. that some managers can play. Wilkerson definitely played that. Reed was more of the type, you were shit today or brilliant today, which mm. I loved. And Mick McCarthy was definitely like that. And, you know, a, a, a really good man. Mm. Good man good manager one of my favourites to ever play for even though I only had a short career I think I've counted the managers that I've been through I think I've had 13 managers mm-hmm. Mick McCarthy Reed, definitely in the top three four mm-hmm. okay uh, your final appearance for Sunderland is in September 2005 against Cheltenham in the League Cup an awful game I'm being told here um did you know that that night was your end of your career, that that was your last game? No, I didn't. It should. I should have known it because I had a stinker. <laughs> I was shocking that night. Okay. And because it was against uh, a lower league side, lower league players, mm-hmm. you start to question your ability, or I did anyway. I was, you know, I had been out for a long time. I think I had been out six, seven months, and it was one of my first games back. And I started, it was one of my first starts back. And I was getting tackled uh, and taking the ball off me in situations where I used to be beating players or getting a crossing or getting a shot away. Mm. And they were, these league, I think they were in League One, League Two. Yeah. They were sort of taking the ball off me. And the guy that marked me, I forgot his name, but he literally owned me for the mm. whole match. 
I couldn't do anything. I was dropping shoulders, doing stepovers, trying to run away from him, and it was just not happening. And, you know, a lot of people said after the game, they were kind to me. They said, oh, you've been out for so long. Don't worry, it'll come back. But that is when I started to think, shit, this is mm. the beginning of the end. I, I definitely remember thinking that in that match just because, not just because I played bad, but n normally through the whole of my career, even when I've come back from an injury, if I'm dropping a shoulder and sent you inside and I'm going to blast on the outside to get the crossing, I've always been able to do it. And just that night, for some reason, mm -hmm. I wasn't. I don't know if he had an outstanding game or if it was me just lost half a yard of speed or whatever. But, yeah, but I didn't think that was going to be my last match. Mm -hmm. I just thought I'm going to have to work harder to get used to it. And then, obviously, I think my knee went again before mm -hmm. I had a chance to play again. And that's when I went out to America and that's when Stedman told me. Mm -hmm. Yes. I read, we'll come back to your Southern career, but I sort of want to talk about the, not necessarily the mental health side of things, but how it affects you as a person at the time and even now. Mm. So you did an interview with, I think it was The Sun. Mm, that is, yeah. Um, talking about, you know, how your career ending affected you and you mm. you went to alcohol and, you mm. know, were you an alcoholic at that time? No, no. Just. Oh, when, when uh, well, yeah, I suppose you would consider me at that point, at the at the lowest point, yeah, because you said you started going out. You, you said you had a you never used to drink, hardly never. I yeah. used to go out. I mean, being a professional footballer, you know, my old man, my mom used to bring me up saying, "Listen, you got you need to eat this if you want to be a professional footballer. You can't drink this. You can't go out to this party. You can't do this." But they they never they never ruled me like say our Wilkinson would have done. Mm -hmm. You've got to do this. You got they they gave me. The information, guide. yeah, the guide guidelines. And they said, if you want to go and do what you want to do, do what you want to do. Basically, when I was growing up, that was my childhood. Mm -hmm. But I knew where I wanted to get and what I wanted to do. So I stayed on that path. I didn't go to the school parties. I didn't start drinking at 14, 15 when all my mates were. I didn't try a drug, didn't smoke, you know, in bed early, up early, training hard. So, and that's how I went through my career. Um, so then when it all finished... And it all came to an end and it was like, initially it was, and people think this is weird, but this is just the truth. It was like, oh, thank fuck that's all over. It, because, you, and now I look back as an older man, I can understand that because it was, you're building your hopes up. I'm back fit again. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I'm injured again. Oh my God, now it's my ankle. Oh, it's my knee. Oh my God, now I've got hernias. What? So you keep going from this for years, three or four years that must have been continuing. And then, so when a guy actually turns around and says, you weren't made to play professional football, your knees are just too bad. If you continue, you won't be able to walk by the time you fought it. And at this point, I've already got three, three kids. I've got three children now. So I was like, you know what? There's more, there's more important things in life than football. I want to be able to play in the back garden with my kids when I'm older. Mm -hmm. Fuck it. And it felt like a relief. Thank God. The first thing I did was go on a snowboard holiday with bad knees. All my mates used to do it every year, my brother, my mates. And I always used to think, oh, I wish I could go on that. But I never could because I'm a footballer. It's in your contract. You can't do things like that. You can't drive a motorbike. You can't go on snowboard holidays, things like that. So when it was all over, literally eight days after I finished at Sunderland, I was sitting on a mountain in the French Alps, like learning to snowboard. Crazy. 
But I loved it. It was like, it was like exhilarating. And then you get back from that holiday and then you start thinking, well, fucking hell, what the fuck am I going to do now? And I literally was. I wasn't, you know, clever at school. Didn't get really good grades from school. Didn't have no kind of backup plan whatsoever. So it, my life became, because me and my missus had split up, so my life, life became three days of the week I've got my kids. The other four days, she's got them. So the other four days, I'm sitting at home with the dog on my own. Mm-hmm. Started to get into the lifestyle of watching Jeremy Kyle. You still have that on like Sky Plus, make sure I don't miss that. <laughs> and then you like, and then you sit there and you're thinking, what is going on? The dog's sitting with me on the couch. I'm watching Jeremy Kyle and then I've Sky Plus afterwards, the real housewives of New York City and think, and you think, I've got more to offer that, to life yeah. than this. But what? That was the problem. What? I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't into my coaching then at all. I wasn't into anything other than football. So, you start getting depressed. You're sitting at home watching all these shows, thinking there's got to be more to life than this, but you don't know what that thing is. So you start... So I remember... So what I used to do, on the the times I didn't have the kids, I used to go out on them evenings because I was bored. You used to go out in town, Leicester, and you go out, you drink, you get drunk, you come home, and you forget that you're going for a period of your life that is not nice. Mm -hmm. Drink sort of takes you away from it. But what they don't teach you about drinking is that it's a depressant. So the next day when you woke up and you hung over, you're even more depressed than you was the day before. Yeah. So then you start, oh, maybe somewhat, some old boy says to you down the pub, you know what you should do? Air of the dog. Have another drink mm-hmm. in the morning to take away the blues from the night before. Then you have a drink and then... It snowballs, and then your missus is saying you can't look after the kids because you're drinking too much. You can't. So then your life really, do, you can't. You're not seeing your kids. You, you, oh my god, what's happening? Yeah. And then before you know it, your life's in a real, real bad state. Well, bad mess financially as well. You go from in, and I think I read you on seventeen thousand pound a week at Sunderland. Mm. You go from in and that to earning nothing. Yeah. How? The the, the 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 problem with that period was I had an I instead of paying me out in a in a lump sum at Sunderland because I still had two years left of a contract they said we'll continue playing you but give you your registration back as a non-playing so I was still on the books at Sunderland mm-hmm. but I could have signed for another you, team so you, you did like a contract cut where you took your last year and split it into two. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I, I I deferred my wages at Sunderland, and people at the time, I mean, your financial advisors, your the bank manager, mm-hmm. experienced footballers, are saying, "What are you doing? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What are you doing?" But I have always, and still to this day, I live my life more on not what I can get or what I can gain, but what is the right thing to do. And that was the right thing to do. I hadn't hardly played. I'm earning magnificent money. I hadn't played much. So when the club came to me and said, we need, they came in a big meeting and said, we need some players to defer wages. So everyone was sort of like, they called the bank manager up, they called the financial advisor, should I do this? No, 
100%, no shadow of a doubt, do not do that. Because basically what the club were asking, so if you earn 10 grand a week, to take that 10 grand and, and split it over two weeks, basically. So your contract lasts an extra year, an extra year longer. So you're only earning five grand a week now. But and I don't, I can't say for certain if I was the only one to do it or if other people had different stipulations in. But mine was just that. So basically, I gave up half of what I was owed to extend my contract for another year. Yeah. Um, but it was the right thing to do because I hadn't played. Do you think the the PFA and football in general could have give you more support? Is it as a twenty six year old? I think you were at the time. Mm to retire through injury after only playing about 60 games? Yeah, 50, 60 games, yeah. Yeah. Do you not think the PFA, or did the try and help somebody? Because, I mean, naturally you would think you're a young, all you want to do all your life is be a footballer. Mm. You get a taste, but you didn't get to live it to its full. No, yeah. Do you think there could have been more help for somebody like you? Y- yeah. In a nutshell, yes. I mean, they did help me, but... My problem was, and I took this to the PFA because I wanted to start my own mm-hmm. thing in this area because I thought it was missing. So you finish playing football and then the first time you get caught in any kind of system to give you help is when you're at rock bottom. And I was saying to the PFA, that that is too huge of a gap. Yeah, It should be, right, this kid's come out of football, let's give him some support now. So we don't have to give him this massive amounts of support he needs when he's at rock bottom. Do you know what I mean? And, and I wanted with with a company that I not a company because it was for charity. But it was called Pro Pro Transition. I wanted to have things in place that because people struggle as well. Don't forget when they finish and they've had a full career. Yeah, they 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 struggle. And and the argument that y- you would give, and I thought about this a lot, is. But you've been a footballer, mate. You've had a wonderful career. Don't start asking now for help at the end of it. And what you would say is, is that it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or what. Or I know that this is taking into account all the terrible things that happen in the world. You know, you know, you could say about the soldiers that come back from Afghanistan and they're, they're mentally wounded and physically wounded. I I do understand all that, but I also want people to understand that even though you're in something that you love doing and you're so um, fortunate to be in that position, those those people still struggle in some kind of way as well. And I just wanted to put something in to make that transition easier to to come away from football and in that because that can't be right. The, the the first help I got was at a place called Sporting Chance, which is Tony Adams, which is Tony Adams's charity, um, and the PFA sponsor it, and and they did sponsor me to go there. But that was when life was near enough over. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I was doing some like horrendous things like to myself like abusing my own body take just taking all sorts you know and it was it's the lowest point of your life and you know that stint in there a guy came in and he, he sort of we used to we used to have things like um 
They give you a horse to look after, like a, a horse that's been abused. This sanctuary took them in and sort of like look after these horses and you have to sort of nurse them back to being a proper horse again and, and having a living in a field and having a good time as a horse instead of being abused. And, and you you got your own horse while you're in there that you had to look after mm. and change its hoofs and brush it and think. And I thought, well, why are we doing that? But that horse, thinking back to that horse, his name was Madden. I'll always remember his name. Things like that, you know, not thinking about yourself so much in, in times of troubles like that and, and helping creatures like that and other people we had to go and we went into like schools and places and work and you know that along with my children and my family you know that and a guy came in and taught us how to coach and that's when I got my passion for coaching literally in his first session he came in and he, he was just coaching us and he was teaching us how we should how we could use our knowledge that we've had through playing and coaching. And I just got it straight away. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So you nearly came out of retirement to join Burton? Oh, nearly? Yeah. Is that maybe too too strong? You know, I did. I, I, I what thought, year was that? I think it was 2009. 10. Right. So it's, it's it when was Nigel Clough. League 2, probably. Yeah, League 2. Nigel Clough rang me. I don't know how he got my number. He rang me and he was like, listen, I've someone seen you playing in a charity game and said that you look good. Do you want to come in? And and I thought, I've had too long out of the game now. And I knew that my knee would just go, go again at that level. See, it can fool you sometimes, my knees. Because when you're playing in these charity games and you're playing well and you're playing against good semi-pro footballers, some of them, and you, you're doing well against them, you think, wow. I could still play. And then once you make that step up and it's that intensity of league football and the vigours of mm-hmm. what you have to go through, it just I just knew it wouldn't sustain yeah. it. So did you feel like you had unfinished business? I mean you must look back in your career and think you've got unfinished business. Or have you sort of yeah, exercised I do. I that saw... demon, I suppose. Like I, I would have never I've been, I say this on the radio in Leicester sometimes, I don't think I would have ever have been a top f- four club player. Man United, Arsenal, no. But, you know, Sunderland, kind of mid-table, Leicester at the minute, you know, that kind of a good all-round football. I mean, I look at Milner and the career he's had. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I used to play in the reserves for Sunderland, when I was coming back from from injuries and he used to play for Newcastle in the reserves and not getting a look in uh, by the time he was 22, 23 it looked like his career was going nowhere and then all of a sudden he turned it around and I used to look at Milner and think I'm better than him mm-hmm. uh, especially when he used to play as a winger don't get yeah. me wrong now he's turned into this kind of utility player he's ut- everywhere yeah he's the he, he, I wish he'd played more behind the striker that's where he was best. Yeah, he was. And now was. Liverpool play him at like fullback. And stuff. Good, good footballer, all round footballer. Nothing he can't do, James Milner. But as a winger, I used to look at him and think, I'm better than him. And there was a couple of players that I used to look at and think, I'm better than them, or on a on a on a level as them who had good careers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do look back, but I just think that was the story that I got dealt. And, and you played. You did yeah, more yeah, than what yeah. I did. Yeah, I, I did. I, I did, and I I don't ever. I try and I, I've always tried to stay humble. Yeah. 
about my football career. Yeah, I played. I was okay. I was a good player. But, you know, I never get carried away. Yes. Um, we're on at some Twitter questions now, though. Uh, Gazler, uh, he says, how is your FSD Academy going? And uh, do you want to coach or manage at a professional level in the future? Perhaps if a manager job came up, mm. would you want to do that? I've thought about this a lot, you know. I mean, the FSD Academy is brilliant, but as my coaching career has moved on, I started at Leicester. I did lots of age groups at Leicester. And then I moved into the kind of elite school coaching of football um, and then back to Leicester and then started my own academy. And the longer I've had the academy, I enjoy the side more of overseeing everything, which is sort of a manager. I don't do much out on the grass anymore. Like, I don't okay. go out, coach. I prefer more being in the background, the manager, the one that sort of sort of can gauge when one of my lads is not feeling the best or he's got something on his mind or and that kind of man management to to get the best out of everyone but to make sure that they know that I'm there from 100%. That's the kind of manager that I would be. Um, but a little bit like how Mick McCarthy was. Mm-hmm. A little bit. I take... I take the best bits. What I try and do is take the best bits from each manager that I've played under mm-hmm. and try and try and mould them all together. I'm sort of, I'm not your mate, but I'm like your older brother. Mm-hmm. You can have a laugh with your older brother and you can understand that your older brother loves you, but don't take the piss with him because he'll it'll be on you if you mm-hmm. do. But also you can kind of have that banter with him. Yeah, That's what sort of I enjoy the most mm-hmm. at the minute and, and with these young lads. I've got I've got thirty of them now, um, seventeen, eighteen year old, mm-hmm. and it's they're inner city boys, so it's a challenge. But I, I'm I'm I love what I do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so the idea of you know Leicester City manager Matt Piper would that be something that you'd ever? Do you know what? Not at the minute. I, I enjoy what I do too much at the minute, and that's a lot of pressure mm. to add to your. I mean, I've got a lot of pressure at the minute looking after these lads, but. You know, but in the future, it would be something that I look at because mm. I, when I was growing up and playing for Sunderland, Leicester, wherever, I never thought I'd had the qualities to be a manager. Mm. I'm sure I wasn't very vocal on the pitch. Okay. I wasn't kind of a leader. But the elder I've got and, and the life experiences that I've had now, mm-hmm. I sort of look at it and think, hmm, it's something that sits in the back of my head thinking maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jake asks, um, are you able to get to Sunderland matches often? Not very often. I always, I keep an eye out for, not, I keep more than an eye out. I'm, I think if people see me on Twitter, um, I'm, you know, mm. I think this manager, Jack Ross, is been a brilliant appointment. Mm. Um, and, and some of the players, you, you know, young lads, I like Magidia. I've always liked Magidia. Mm. Uh, I think... I don't know. It seems from what I pick up off Twitter, sort of some of the crowd are having him and some are not having him. But I think I think he's a big player for the club, especially in this league. Yeah. And you know, we're second. Hopefully, we go up. And you know, it's my it's my club. It still mm-hmm. feels like my club, even though I don't. I'm not. I'm not a Sunderland lad. Mm-hmm. It's my club. If I've played for that club, this club was good to me. The fans were good to me. It's my club. Yeah. Leicester's my club, Sunderland's my club. 
anyone says, no, who's your favourite? I don't pick a favourite. Yeah, I'm a Leicester Ooh. lad and I've broken the team there. But I love both these two clubs mm-hmm. with everything I've got. And my eldest is a Mackle, obviously. Okay. Oh, yes. He was born yes. here. Um, Does he have the accent? He doesn't, no. Oh. I try and teach him it now and again, <laughs> but he only lived there for two years and he moved back. So he didn't quite keep the accent, but no, both my clubs. The Tom Peters story again. M. Don is asking me to ask you the Tom Peters story. Well, yeah, he's my favourite story. Okay. <laughs> You know, that's why I still speak. Tom Tom Peters is on, like, I follow him on Facebook. I follow him on Twitter. Me and him got quite close because I was always injured. He didn't really get anywhere near the first team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they signed him as a first team player, but he, you know, he, he wasn't in and around it that much. So we, me, him, Mark Rossiter, we started hanging around together. And so I loved him as a lad anyway. Quite, um, he was funny, but he was like, he kind of, He's a Belgian lad, wasn't he? So he was he was kind of different sense of humour to, mm. to like the English Irish lads. Um and he used to be quite blunt at times. Uh but no, the story is so you can all tell what I thought of Howard Wilkinson. And Tom Peters did in this 10 seconds literally what I wish I had the guts to all the time. Um Wilkinson was a manager at our club. So I've got to set the scene. Howard Wilkinson is obviously not a lot of players liked him and there were sort of rumours that it was coming towards the end of his time at Sunderland but no one had any clarification yet or anything and as I also said didn't particularly like Steve Cottrell and and there was a big meeting called every single player I think we got a text I think it was a text uh, the manager wants everyone to meet at the training ground um, all players, all staff, everyone, literally everyone, which is unheard of. You never, ever get that at a football club where everyone is in a meeting. It was sort of, we got to the training ground and all these, you know, down the, the, the bottom end of the club where all the changing rooms are, we went into the biggest, like, if you've been in there, it's all open. So you could fit a lot of people in there. All the backroom staff, player, everyone, and you could hear a pin drop. And everyone was just waiting for the manager to come in. And, and Wilkinson walked in in his kind of, you know, arrogant kind of strut that he had. And all the players were sitting along the front. But you've got to imagine this room is packed. There's mm-hmm. got to be 150, 200 people in there. And Cottrell walked in and Cottrell was like sort of walking behind him with his head down, like going... <laughs> like he was sort of crying. So everyone was like, what the fuck? And then, but Wilkinson remained the ultimate professional, sort of arrogant, took his coat off, looking round at everyone in their faces, like with it, like, with like a, like a disappointed look on his face, but like he was disappointed with everyone that he's looking at, not in himself. He hung his coat up over one of the things, he turned round, he had his scarf around his neck, sort of pulled his scarf off slowly, folded it and hung that up as well. And you could hear a pin drop and everyone was like, wow, what's happening? And, and Cottrell, meanwhile, still in the background, <laughs> sort of like sniveling away. And Howard Wilkinson went, today is a terrible day. And everyone remained quiet. And he said, I have been sacked as the man. And before he could finish the sentence, <laughs> 
Tom Peters went, yeah. yes, <laughs> but he didn't care. That man had made his life, you'd just seen an outburst of joy that he'd been sat. And he said, and then the manager, it threw the manager because he, he couldn't believe someone had done that. And I was laughing and then Phil Babb, like stood up and he said, sit down, that's not professional, you shouldn't be doing that. I don't care, I don't care, I'm so pleased he's got the sack. It, it's been too long in coming and he keeps clapping and going for it and I thought, oh my God. And literally, from that moment, that lad became my hero because in a room like that with that amount of tension and having a man like Howard Wilkinson who, who ruled with an iron fist, basically, when he was at the football club, you know, you got you got all these little added sentiments of Steve Cottrell in the background, like snivelling away because he's gutted that his first big job that he got, mm-hmm. he's he's sacked, and Tom Peters is up on his feet, clapping, cheering, woo! Brilliant news going like that. Oh my god! <laughs> it was the it was the best thing. It was the it was the best way for me. And I, and I don't hate Howard Wilkinson. He, he, for me, he was just stuck in his ways. And I have seen him since, actually. I was doing one of my coaching badges at, um, at St. George's Park, where England player, I think he works there now. And he was very warm and, and kind of kind to me, which was really nice. You know, mm-hmm. it was nice. And it, it made me think, you know what? He, he was just probably stuck in his ways and he was one of them kind of managers I call it blanket managing. They sort of manage every individual the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think football's moved on from that. If if this guy's going to react better to a rocket up his ass, that's what I'll do. But this guy might react better to an arm around the shoulder and mm. a couple of days off. Or you know, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think Howard Wilkinson just tried to manage everyone the same and not all of our personalities are the same. So, So, yeah, I don't hate him. Uh, I wish him all the best, mm-hmm. but it was just that was a yeah. that was brilliant from Tom Peters. So you're in uh, regular contact with Tom Peters? Yeah, well, on Facebook and yeah. on social media, um, he's doing his thing now back in Belgium, and but just from that moment, I just knew mm-hmm. that you know it's 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 a story that I tell. Sometimes I have to do Q and A's in Leicester. And it's okay. a story that I'll always yeah. tell just because it was it was brilliant how he did it. <laughs> yeah. I imagine being in that room, that would have been oh man. <laughs> so good, mate. Um Luke Ball, he asks, Do you remember being in the room when Darren Byfield asked Luke what he thought of Jamelia's new song? Do you remember being in that room? No. I must have been in there because I know Luke well, he's a good lad. Yeah. And um and while I've got this platform. The one thing that I will say about Luke is very good at table tennis, okay. but he never beat me. Just because on Twitter uh, all the time, he always canes me about my table tennis skills because okay. I was a bit of an inner city lad that thought I was really good at table tennis. And for some reason, he's got in his head that he he used to beat me all the time. It was totally the opposite way around. Maybe we should get something on YouTube of you two playing table tennis. <laughs> yeah. Just to see what happens with that. The next time I'm up, I'll tell you what, I'll put it down on here now. Yeah. Next time I'm up, I'm challenging him now to a game. First to 21 takes it. Charity table tennis. That's good. And then yes. we'll put it out on Twitter afterwards. Absolutely, yeah. A brilliant great lad, though. Luke. He's yes. a great lad. And his dad's an absolute fucking legend, obviously. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, and as far as the Jamelia song is concerned, he says it was shade. Still doesn't know why. He actually doesn't like it that much. Um but he said it was shit. So. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> the story in that is because Darren Byfield was 
was seeing Jamelia yes. at yes. the time, and he t- he opened. He has got a big mouth though, Luke. Yeah. Mm. He probably dropped himself in it a few times <laughs> with the players. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Carl Bridgewood he asks, how's um, how are you finding the new commentary slash punditry career move? Um, I'm absolutely loving it. In all truth, I mean, at the minute, if you could have told me when we've obviously spoke about my lowest points, and if someone could have turned around to me then and said, "Listen." Yes, your career's over, but you're going to go on to have, you know, your own academy. You're going to go on to have a lovely family, four beautiful kids, and you're you're going to be commentating on Leicester matches at weekends, and you're going to have a presence on social media. You know, you know what I mean. I I would have snapped anyone's hand off yes. at that time, and it's something that I know I need to improve at. I told you, I'm always honest. I'm I'm not the greatest of summarizers yet, but okay. I I work hard every day at mm-hmm. trying to become that little bit better. So um, when it, when you do games, do you travel to the away games as well? Yeah, yeah. I travel. Yeah, home and away, and mate, I love it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. I mean, you know, as I've said, the the Leicester fans have huge passion as well as mm-hmm. the Sunderland fans do. So obviously when I get people disagree with what my point of view. I get a lot of I get a lot of mm. kind of abuse on Twitter, but I love it. I retweet yeah. it and engage with them again, and it's just points of view in it. But that's why I love this game of football. It's all about passion. Yeah. It's all about opinions. And Carl says, on a personal level, the man you are a legend and hero for him. Well, I know why Carl said that. He, I know Carl. I don't know Carl, but he, he sort of got in touch with me on Twitter. I think it was his brother who was getting married. He was a big Sunderland fan. Okay. So I did the bride and groom a video. I don't know why they wanted a video of me saying congratulations, but they did. So okay. yes. I sent them that, but that's why I think he's been so nice. But that's nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, he's a good lad. Um, Keel Watson has a very blunt question. Who's the worst player that you've played with? At Sunderland. Oof, at Sunderland. Oh God! See, I'd look. I, I've been uh, worst player. Wow, this is a difficult one. Because if someone did pop straight to mind, I would say it. Do you know what, mate? I'm struggling. I tell you who. I, I, I'll say this. You might hear this. So this is. I tell you, who I thought was a brilliant player, but. He was one of them players that in training he was unbelievable. But I never thought that he, he transferred it to the first team. He, he maybe did for a, a period of time. But John Oster. All right. Do you remember John Oster? Yes. Great lad. For me, from what I've seen in training, I don't know why it didn't transfer to games. Maybe it did. Maybe it's just me thinking it. But I remember seeing him in training and think. He's one of the best players I've ever played with. Literally that good. Okay. Honestly. And I, I'm not just saying it. And he's playing against top players when you're in training and some reserve games. And then, and I've probably said that because I don't think he ever did it in the first team as he did in training. Because mm. I literally, I used to see him and Julio Arca in training and think, these are two of the best players I've ever seen. Honestly, they were that good. And then Julio obviously transferred it to first-team matches. And especially not at Sunderland. Maybe he did at Everton, but I don't think John Oster ever 
ever performed as well in first team matches as he did in training and at other places of his career? I know that's not answering the question, but I literally can't think of a worse player I ever played with at Sunderland. Well, you mentioned Floor as a player. Yeah, I don't think he did. He didn't. I think his career was coming towards mm-hmm. the sort of the end. And yeah. we paid big money for him. And he probably didn't set it alight as much mm. as Sunderland fans thought he was going to. But okay. I still think he was a quality player. When I when I think worst player, I think someone who couldn't trap a ball or mm. was a striker and missed loads and loads and loads of chances. Mm-hmm. I literally can't think of anyone from Sunderland. Well, we'll go at the contrast. What about, do you have a, a best player that you've played with? Yeah, for Leicester, it's definitely Muzzy, is it? Okay. Muzzy as it was unbelievable footballer. Okay. Um, and probably should have moved on from Leicester at his peak okay. and he would have played top club. I mean, he's played World Cup semi-final. He's a big, big player. Muzzy is it. Um, and Sunderland, probably Julio. Okay. He was. Yeah. I mean... Goal scoring wise, I've never I've never played with a goal scorer of the quality of of Kevin Phillips. Mm. And even in training, he used to score some goals. You think, fucking hell, mm. you did. You used to think I wouldn't have even shot from there, let alone scored from there. Yeah, you know. And some of the little dink finishes, and you know where most players would hold it up, pass it, or something. He's like trying to flick it over a keeper, and, mm. and you scoring some ridiculous goals. So, goal scoring wise. Kevin Phillips, mm. I think he was one of the best around, definitely. Um, but natural footballing ability where you just looked at him and thought, whew, that's some kind of different level. Mm-hmm. That was Julio. And John Oster, yeah. but only yeah. in training. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Yeah. If he ever listens to this, he's going to think, what do you mean I didn't fucking... No, but I, that's why I used to think about the lad. Yeah. Okay. Unbelievable in training, but didn't transfer it to first team matches. Um, someone who's dealt with a lot of injury problems over the last few years for Sunderland's Duncan Watmore. Yeah, I feel sorry for him. Um, Peter Frecker asks, uh, any advice that you could give to someone like Duncan? It's hard because I think I did everything well and then I end up being a fucking bum alcoholic. So <laughs> you got to look back and think, what kind of advice can you give? But, you know, the advice that I give players now that are injured and I'm sure Duncan does this because I know he's a he's a sensible lad he's a very educated lad mm-hmm. from what I know about him yeah he graduated he, the same year as me yeah yeah, yeah. He, he's got his, he's done his graduation he's got his, he, you know the university behind him which is one of the things that I would say someone started to struggle with injuries mm. it's important to start thinking ahead just mm. in case because if the worst happens and you have to come away from it if you've got a plan in place Mm-hmm. that something that you could transition into is going to make that a lot yeah. easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's worst case scenario. As in someone who keeps getting injured a lot, you, you've just got to do all the right things. You've got to stay on a path and you've got to have that belief in the people that are looking after you. And if you haven't got that belief, you need to speak up. Because mm-hmm. I think not so much at Sunderland, but times in my life where just because someone is someone is the expert that I'm going to, and he says we should go along this. I would always go get, uh, uh, now I would, being an older man, I would go and get another opinion 
to try and you know come to a, a consensus of what is the best way forward instead of because I always used to right pipes we're gonna we're gonna open you up we're gonna cut this out do this do that and do that I used to be like yeah yeah when is it and I think most footballers do I think when you're injured nowadays you you have to look after yourself number one so that's eating the right things staying on a path staying focused um, getting the right kind of advice and if you don't feel you're getting it don't be afraid to to go elsewhere or tell the club you know you don't want to cause conflict at a football club mm -hmm. and luckily for me at, at Sunderland I did have great physios um, but it's just making yourself and being very selfish at that point to get yourself back to fitness because okay. ultimately that's the way you're going to help the club and help everyone to do with the club because no one wants in, uh, an injured player mm. and someone who keeps getting injured. Yeah, but I wish him all the best. Yeah, Duncan seems a talented lad when I've seen him play. And uh, yeah, he does. He's I'm, quick. Mm -hmm. He's very direct. I've watched him. I've watched him, and I like what I see. I like how he works off the shoulders of players and spins into mm. um, space to pick up the ball. He's listen, mate. I think he's a top player. It's yeah. just it's just unfortunate what he's going through at the minute, but. Mm. I say to him all the best and, and stay focused and keep the belief that you're going to get back on that fitness track. Yes. Um, so we've got one more question. Um, then we've got a couple more daft ones. But <laughs> Maurice Desade, she's asked, they're asking a question. Um, I think you've already covered this to an extent, but maybe you have another story. We've heard rumours of Sergeant Wilco's unorthodox training methods, like grabbing nettles, etc. Um, you mentioned the uh, David Attenborough documentaries and watching yeah. that for, for training. What's the maddest thing, the session that he might have put on, maddest training session? It's got to be the geese one. Yeah. It's definitely got to be the geese one. But he also brought an outside company in of specialist team builders okay. where we had to, you know, do the, the, the falls where you're not looking okay. and someone has to catch you. So we kind of did all them sessions, but we were literally doing them kind of sessions three, four times a week. Mm-hmm and doing two training sessions on the pitch. Mm -hmm. So you, you, logic tells you that, <laughs> yeah, we're going to probably come closer together as a team, but that ain't going to get us winning football matches. Yeah. Uh, I think the work out on the training pitch is what would have made the difference. And at that time, a lot of the players did, for me, become unfit because we wasn't training enough or as intense as we should have been to get mm. ourselves out of that predicament. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that was it. I sit with him. Um, Steve Shelley says, what's your favourite cheese, Matty? Favourite cheese is Red Leicester. Okay, Red or Leicester. any kind of cheddar. I'm, nice. a, I'm not a funky kind of cheese man. Okay. You know you get the, the what's that cheese called? Yes. The one with mm. the blue cheese. Mm -hmm. It's called blue cheese. Yes. Yeah, I can't do that. My missus loves it, but I can't do it. So Red Leicester. Red Leicester, mate. I'll it's quite for. fitting since you're from Leicester. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, Daz says, do you regret wearing double denim in Tiger Tiger in Newcastle? I know, I've seen that one. I, I said, I'm coming up here in double denim today, just to like, and if it was going to be on YouTube or something so people could see it, I don't remember wearing double denim. I must have done. I must have done, but I've always thought I'm an half-decent dresser. Mind you, you know the people that think they actually dress well? Mm -hmm. Nine times out of ten are the ones that everyone's saying, look at that cunt. <laughs> so it probably was me. And yes, if I did wear double denim, I do regret it. <laughs> can't say I've been a double denim wearer myself <laughs> so yeah I think we're just about finished here but where can we find you on social media social media I'm underscore 
Matt Piper on Twitter. Um, I think I'm the same on Instagram. And my academy is called the FSD. I know the guys up here probably won't want to follow that, but I put some good videos up about the academy. I enjoy my time at the academies. Mm -hmm. uh, go and have a look at our website. It's www.fsdacademy.com. And it's helping, okay. you know, 17 and 18-year-olds, um, football, life skills, B-Tech. Yeah. We're trying our best. Nice. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, so, uh, yeah, that's all we've got really uh, time for today. Uh, but thank you again, Matt, for coming in. Top man, Johnny. Excellent. Really Any time you want me on here, mate. Absolutely. Excellent. We've got Matt Piper. And remember, Luke Ball, his charity table tennis game. Yes, uh, let's get that, that trending, Luke. Yes. It's all Hashtag. right, it's all right, caning me on Twitter, but let's get it training in person, big man. Hashtag Piper versus Ball. <laughs> let's make it happen. This has been Johnny from Rook Report. Thanks to Connor as well, and uh, we will see you next time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.